You're listening to The Court Leader's Advantage, a podcast series for court professionals and by court professionals. Brought to you in cooperation with NACOM, the National Association for Court Management. The first step is just to completely drop the phrase, we've always done it that way, out of your vocabulary. When several generations are working in the office, comparisons and contrasts will inevitably result. In the years to come, we might see four generations, in substantial numbers, working side by side. They all bring their unique experiences, skills, values, and yes, even biases to the workplace. Baby boomers, born between 1945 and 1964, experienced Vietnam, protests against the war and against racial injustice, and Woodstock. They are said to be goal-oriented and equate work with self-worth. Generation X, born between 1965 and 1979, knew Roe v. Wade, the fall of the Berlin Wall, and the end of communism as we knew it. They have your reputation for being independent, demanding work-life balance, and being more willing to switch jobs. Millennials, born between 1980 and 1994, grew up with the Columbine shooting, September 11th, and the War on Terror. According to the Pew Research Center, this year they eclipsed baby boomers as a demographic, and they're on their way to becoming more populous than Generation X. They are tech-savvy, marrying later, and having fewer children. Pundits see them as being socially conscious, and they're looking for bosses who are mentors and coaches. So how accurate are these different supposed traits? How does each generation match up in the workplace? And most importantly, what advice do Millennials and Gen Xers have for managers working in the courts today? I'm Pete Kiefer, and welcome to the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. We're joined today by Tina Madison. Deputy Court Administrator for the Pima County Juvenile Court in Tucson, Arizona. Welcome, Tina. Now, I'm not going to ask anyone's age, but you are a member of what's known as Generation X? Yes, thank you, Peter. Um, I am a member of Generation X, and happy to be here. We also have Paulina Pascarelli, Mental Health Case Manager for the 15th Judicial Circuit Court in Florida in West Palm Beach. Paulina, I appreciate you being with us. Thank you so much for having me. And you are a millennial? I am. Finally with us today is Stacy Werby, State Jury Coordinator for the Alaska Court System in Anchorage, Alaska. Stacy, thanks for joining us today. And Stacy, you are Generation X? Yes, thank you so much for having me. Yes, I am a Gen Xer. Tina, let me start with you. Do you see Gen Xers and millennials as more tech-savvy than baby boomers? I think they are. However, they really had a lot of opportunities growing up. There was more technology at their fingertips. So I don't know that it's called more tech savvy and that they're more comfortable with technology. Is there any way courts can tap into that expertise? Yes. Each court can look at their Gen Xers and millennials as maybe end users or testing users for any of the new technology that's being rolled out. Paulina? How do you see the different generations and their grasp on technology? 
Well, I think the millennials definitely do have an advantage that we grew up with it. So it's something that is just ingrained in us and we don't even think twice about using technology. I don't think that the Gen Xers or the baby boomers are not savvy. I think they're actually a lot more savvy than people perceive them to be. Paulina, the Pew Research Center has estimated that this year, 2019, there are now 73 million millennials and only 72 million baby boomers. Now, some think that baby boomers are going to overwhelm our buying habits, our politics, and our workplace. Do you see this happening, and do you think it'll have an effect on the courts? I do see it happening, even when you just think of things like shopping online. If I consider buying something, the first thing I'm going to do is pop on Amazon. Uh, When you get into politics, I think the information is presented on social media in such a concise manner that it makes it easier to digest the information and to take a stand on things. So I think we're getting more involved in politics because of that. So yes, ultimately, it does kind of boil down to our increase in technology. How do I see it affecting the courts? Well, just in our circuit, we have directors and judges representing all of the generations that we talked about today. Stacy, some think that it's not the difficulty in managing the various generations, but rather the culture of the court that makes embracing the different generational values so difficult. Now, one example is the reluctance of the courts to embrace flex time. Do you agree that court culture is to blame? You know, I think I would agree with that statement. I can see how a court would feel it's important to have a full staff presence during the times they perceive the public expects them to be available and staffing needs to be consistent for workflow to remain stable. But do courts even really need to be a traditional brick and mortar anymore? Perhaps the public now doesn't need access to the courts as they used to by making in-person visits that require that static in-person workforce. Part of modernization of the courts, I think we can find solutions that fits the needs of the employees, the public, and the courts. In addition to flex time, I think it's becoming more important for newer employees to have the opportunity to work remotely. And I think we can accommodate that. Tina, when trying to manage different generations, how do you avoid stereotyping and unconscious bias? I mean, at the end of the day, everyone is an individual. Well, that's a good point. And that's really my managerial style is to see everybody as an individual coming in and looking at their skill sets and what do they bring to the organization and what can we train them on and teach them on. And it really isn't um, what generation are they. And at the end of the day, we need to get the work done. So it's really getting them that skill set to complete whatever tasks need to be done or whatever programs they're working with and seeing it through that. So I don't see it as any new employee. I got to think about where they land on the generational scale. Stacy, how do you avoid stereotyping and unconscious bias? You know, I totally agree with you, Tina. And I, I really think that communication is definitely the key point there. Uh, when working one-on-one with a person, I would not assume that they prefer, say, texting over email just because of when they were born. I would ask them. Or if you have a large staff, provide information and communication over multiple platforms and formats and then allow your workers to respond as they feel comfortable. Stacey, that's a great point. I actually um, instituted a, a just a, a formal, how do you like to be recognized? Because some people, and that's a personality thing, some people like to be recognized publicly, but some people are tremendously shy and they don't want to be recognized publicly. They'd rather have a handwritten note or an email just saying, good job. The public recognition is sometimes a punishment. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Now, every generation has something to offer. For example, the IT-savvy crowd can teach the rest of us who are less tech-savvy 
How to use our smartphones. Have your courts implemented or have considered implementing cross-generational mentoring? Tina? We have not considered cross-generational mentoring. We have a mentor program, but we don't designate it to generation. It's more actually towards different divisions and getting to know different areas within the court just to broaden people's horizons. Stacy, Yeah, there's nothing formal in place, but it's more of an informal, knowing who, who to talk to and who has the most institutional knowledge. Paula? We don't have a formal mentoring program, but there is definitely a natural tendency here for some cross-generational mentoring, especially amongst those who have been here longer and have some historical knowledge. And I think you just have to be open to it. I know millennials who enjoy being mentored by the other generations, and I know baby boomers who enjoy being mentored by millennials. But I think we also have to be careful with that fine line between a mentoring program and is, is there an HR conflict with the fact that we're breaking it down by age group. Now, working with the different generations can be a challenge, but also can offer opportunities for growth. We'll learn more about both the risks and rewards after this short pause. My name is Michelle Oaken, and I am an administrator for the Los Angeles Superior Court, Van Nuys East Courthouse in the state of California, and a past president of the National Association for Court Management, NACOM. The bonds I've developed with other court professionals through NACOM are invaluable. The NACOM community provides the opportunity to exchange ideas, learn from others' experiences, and hear about innovations trending in courts today. Throughout my career, I have made it a point to expand my education and knowledge about the court management profession, specifically by being an active member of NACOM. If you are not a member, consider joining NACOM today. You can do so by clicking the Join Us button on the NACOM website at nacomnet.org. If you are a member, I strongly encourage you to get more involved by joining a NACOM committee. Committee descriptions and meeting schedules can be found on NACOM's website. Then simply join a committee call. Serving on committees as a board member and officer is fulfilling and a rewarding experience. Now we're back with Paulina Pascarelli, Stacy Werby, and Tina Madison talking about multi-generations in the workplace. Paulina, what do you think motivates millennials to work in an organization? So let me read off some traditional inducements, and can you give me your assessment of how important they are to millennials? Parental leave, good health care, good retirement pensions, flex hours, more money, and interesting work. I think that it depends on where you are in your life because some of these things are definitely more important at different stages. For example, it wasn't until I started seeing friends with, you know, getting phased out of their parents' healthcare and them trying to get on their own insurance that I realized how lucky I was to work for an organization that had good healthcare. Tina, to what degree do you think motivators are a factor of generational age? In other words, do you think that the factors that I mentioned, healthcare, pension, parental leave, will become more important as millennials age? Well, I'm not sure about millennials, but I think Paulina made a great point about where she's at and some of her thought process. I know when I was young and I first started, 
good health care and good retirement pensions were not a consideration for me. I just needed a job. So, um, but now that I'm getting older, healthcare and pension are very much in my mind. So they are important to me. I, I re- so I think these factors are really kind of where people are on their age scale. Tina, people portray millennials as being more socially conscientious, less concerned about the paycheck. Now, folks do not work for the courts to get fabulously wealthy, but can courts adapt to this sort of desire for more social consciousness? I don't believe that the courts need to adapt. I think most courts have, have created some type of problem-solving court or specialty courts within their jurisdictions. We have drug courts. We have treatment courts. We have homeless courts, veterans courts. So I think having the millennials or Gen Xers or anybody who has that social conscientiousness can find a niche in those working in those areas. And I know I have a few individuals that work there. Stacy, what do you think? You know, I think that's important, and you have some good points there, Tina. And what also might be important is it gives someone whose primary job is behind the scenes maybe the opportunity to see how their work positively affects people in real life so that they don't feel like I'm just pushing papers and civil divisions. This has, you know, an impact on someone, and it's a positive impact. I've always liked using the example of handing somebody a case file and saying, this isn't really a case file. This isn't just something that you shuffle from place to place. It is a person's life and giving that meaning to the work that they're doing. Stacy, many baby boomers are continuing to work past their normal retirement age. Are baby boomers staying too long in the workplace? Well, yes and no, and I think it really depends on the size of the court. Uh, the baby boomer generation and, you know, actually anyone who has worked at the court for a long period of time can be a valuable source of institutional knowledge. But if a court has limited advancement opportunities, perhaps a more advisory role could be created for the retiring generation, mentorships and the like, so that advancement could be had by the younger generation. Stacy, do you think that there is more of a focus on generational differences now than in the past? You know, I think so, and I think it's due to the rapid pace of technological advancement. Uh, The change in technology in the workplace year to year, even in the courts, which can be a little slower to adopt the latest trends, it's just so fast now. And younger generations have grown up with this kind of fast-paced technological advancement, and I think they have the skills to adapt. So it makes it a little more stark when a person comes in understanding how your cell phone is going to change every six months and not every five years. (laughs) Tina, what do you think? Well, I think the focus, it, it seems like we're having this conversation a lot about generational differences. And maybe it it is because we have more generations in the workplace. We have the baby boomers, we have Gen Xers, millennials. And I know that our court and other courts are hiring Gen Ys. So I think it, it it is a relevant conversation to be having, um, but we didn't hear the conversation that much when I first started because I was first generation X and baby boomers, and it just it didn't seem like the, that conversation was in the forefront as much. Let's cycle back to the question that we asked at the start of the podcast. What is the one thing courts should change now to better manage generation X and millennial workers? Paulina? I don't know that there's necessarily one thing that needs to be changed, but I think as an overall adjustment to just be available, have your staff know that they can go to leadership with issues, cross-generational or not, because ultimately the goal is to not see us as generational, but one cohesive workforce. 
Stacy. You know, I feel the key is really for everyone to keep an open mind and open communication with the staff. And the first step is just to completely drop the phrase, we've always done it that way, out of your vocabulary. Tina? Yeah, the one, having it just being one thing to, to manage them better, I'm not really sure. I know Stacy said earlier that communication, I think understanding how, how people prefer to be communicated with and understanding that not everybody, we're not cookie cutters. So having our managers and our supervisors trained to embrace that we have a diverse workforce and understanding and being able to connect and communicate with them will get us very far. My thanks to Tina, Stacy, and Paulina for giving us their thoughts on the generations in the workplace. Now, this topic has always been with us, but since the workplace is now truly multi-generational, these questions are becoming more important than ever. Paulina, thanks for sharing your thoughts today. Thank you for having me, Pete. Tina, thanks for talking with us. Thank you, Pete. Stacy, I'm grateful for you sharing your thoughts. Thank you so much. Now let's answer a listener question. Kelly Hutton from Grand Forks, North Dakota, wrote in two questions about our August episode on high-profile trials. Here to ask those questions is Kelly Hutton, and here to respond is one of our August presenters, Michelle Kennedy, Public Information Officer for the 18th Judicial Circuit in Seminole and Brevard Counties, Florida. Kelly, tell us your questions. Hi, Michelle. My first question is, how do you determine when a case rises to the level of needing Twitter posts, and what content do you post? That, that's a good question. My rule of thumb for Twitter is, if reporters are emailing, calling me, and it's really obvious that this case has risen to a high level of interest, then the most efficient way for me to respond is with Twitter. And I've made it my personal philosophy to use Twitter to help me be more efficient, not to be a slave to Twitter, like, oh, I've got to tweet something today. But no, Twitter is there to help me communicate with, with reporters, sometimes the legal community as well, but mostly with reporters and to do it all at once. They're getting the same information at the same time. And that's how I use Twitter because we always have to worry about that balance. Are we responding to the public interest or are we creating public interest? So I've, that's been my rule of thumb that we've kind of adopted here that we are using Twitter to respond to questions when, when cases have really just received a lot of attention and a lot of interest. Thanks, Michelle. What training did you provide staff in preparation for and during your high-profile cases? This may sound surprising, but really very little training was provided because we wanted to make it very clear that we were speaking with one voice. And that was my voice as the public information officer, but always with approved communications from the presiding judge or our chief judge. So we were basically telling staff, you don't need to you know, know, know about this. You need to refer it to me. And it, that made for a lot of work at times, but it also kept things under control. Now, we did have a, a year almost of meetings where court tech and court administrators obviously were involved and had their input on planning. But when it came down to educating staff overall about what they were to say about this trial, we kept it very simple. We're speaking with one voice, and it's the PIO as approved by our chief judge and our presiding judge. And I think we were successful 
by doing that. We didn't have mixed messages out there and we didn't have bad information out there, at least not from our staff. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. My thanks to Kelly for her questions and to Michelle for responding. Remember, if you have a question about this or any episode, email us at podcast. that's all one word, at nakamnet.org. In most cases, we'll answer your question at the end of a future podcast episode. This has been the Court Leader Advantage podcast series. Be sure to catch the next month's episode on social media influencers and the courts. I'm Pete Kiefer, and thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. The Court Leader's Advantage is a regular podcast series on courts and court administration. Look for new episodes the third Thursday of each month. Today's podcast will be available on our website, on Facebook, on iTunes, and on Twitter. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future podcasts, email us. Our address is podcast. that's all one word, at nakamnet.org. I'm Pete Kiefer, and on behalf of our guests and the National Association for Court Management, have a great day. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individual presenters. They do not necessarily represent the position of the National Association for Court Management.